Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning. And uh, I, your fearless leader, will guide you through this crazy world of sports as we have seen it. Uh, Outtake, partake, or whatever, in front of our own eyes. Let's get right into it, though. World Series, Dodgers, Astros. Can I just tell you that I'm the one guy four, five, six months ago that says we're looking very, very good at a a possibility of an Astros-Dodgers World Series. And I kind of stuck with that. And you know what? It's the Dodgers and the Astros of the World Series helping us break it down. Mark Timmons from L.A. Dodger Talk. Welcome back to the balance, sir. How is you? Never better. How are you, Tom? If I was any better, I'd be my twin, sir. (laughs) <laughs> I hear that. So, so hey, let's let's talk about this. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm a big National League guy. I'm a Cardinal guy, but I've been I would have I would have been a bandwagon Cub fan had that happened. But thank God, I don't have to do that this year. But the Dodgers rooting for them had a great opening night, fast game and 100 degree weather, and it's just like they've hit that slippery slope. And the same thing that the Yankees and everybody else has seen the Astros can do. You just can't stop their fastball. Well, you know, I think it goes back to a couple things. I mean, I have been probably one of the biggest proponents of Andrew Friedman and Farhan Zaidi when they came to the Dodgers and what they're trying to do. Um, you know, they're, they've rebuilt that farm system. They've rebuilt that team. They're obviously one of the best teams in baseball. I've always – enjoyed analytics but i've never been a huge huge analytics fan but i've come to see the value of analytics but i think on the big stage sometimes like in the world series you can you can overvalue analytics and case in point game two the world series rich hill has pitched 60 pitches in four innings he struck out seven didn't have his best control but he was missing a lot of bats and the Dodgers looked at analytics and said, we're going to go to our bullpen after four innings. And going to the bullpen after four innings caused them to have to burn relievers much, much quicker than they were going to. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, in the playoffs, the Dodgers had 27 consecutive scoreless innings. Well, that's unsustainable. I mean, it's never going to continue in the, in the, in the, in the playoffs in the World mm-hmm. Series like that. So it was bound to implode sooner or later. So I, I and even last night, you know, AJ Hinch, he had several opportunities to take Lance McCullers Jr. out. I mean, he got in trouble a few times. Maybe the analytics would have said, well, maybe you should bring in a left hander to face this batter. 
but he left McCullers in there. He trusted his eyes. Peacock, who has, after that game, has still has a 5-0-0 ERA. A.J. Hinch trusted his eyes and let Peacock keep pitching, regardless of the matchups, for 3.2 innings and get his first save ever. So the deal is, analytics are great, but the game is played by people, and sometimes on the big stage, guys rise to do amazing things that you cannot measure with analytics and you can't predict with analytics. So while I love analytics, I think the last couple of games, they've been overused by the Dodgers, and it's been a issue that uh, they're going to have to correct or the Astros are going are to take this series. No, and you're absolutely right. We're talking with Mark Timmons of L.A. Dodger Talk, uh, one of the, the, the biggest authorities on the Dodgers that I know of. But he, he, here's the thing. They, they used a lot of pitchers to lose game three. And, you know, you're right. The, the analytics might talk about a trend, and, and they have their place. But at some point, you've got to go back to just playing good old-fashioned baseball. I mean, for the first time since the 1970s, uh, Cleveland uh, and, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Oriole Reds, uh, World Series, we're seeing two teams with 100 wins. But know this, baseball players know about losing. They they lose all the time. They take it a lot better than, than the fans do. Uh, I mean, they'd have to in order to be able to go through this grind. Uh, they, and so the thing is about, about the Dodgers, they lost 58 times last season. Heck, they lost 16 times in 17 games during the, the most famous bad stretch of baseball since 1899. So the Dodgers are used to losing. So this, I don't think, is going to phase them. But what do they got to do to get back on track? Like you said, let's push the analytics back aside and let's start playing some baseball. Yeah, and, you know, they, they, the last game, they, they didn't hit good last night. I mean, the fact of the matter is they, they, they didn't have their hitting shoes on last night. So, you know, regardless of what you do with pitching matchups, you're not going to win if you don't hit the ball. And – but some of that goes back to the game before when, you know, it looked like the Dodgers were going to win that game. And then Dave Roberts snatched defeat from the jaws of victory by taking out Rich Hill and they blew the game at the end and that gave Houston hope. And there's nothing more uh, difficult to deal with than a team that has hope. Right, absolutely. And let's look at the Astros for a second. Let's let's uh, uh, look look in the other dugout, if you will. The Astros want this almost as much as the Cubs wanted a World Series last year. And like you said, what they had was just a little bit of hope. And let's face it, that hope has taken them all the way to another uh, uh, National League uh, pennant. Uh, I mean, National League Central pennant. So uh, you you got to know that the Astros want this and want it bad. Well, they do, but I think the Dodgers do, too. I think the Dodgers were denied last year, and um, I think they weren't really, really bad this year, too. So there's that coming into play. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of worried about the fact that the Dodgers have burned their bullpen. So that's, the, that's an issue that they're going to have to deal with here in the, in the near, well, as, as quick as today. You know, several of their pitchers aren't going to be available today. And uh, even like Ken Amaida, who pitched great last night, but they gave him a little over two innings. I think he could have went three, maybe. I mean, he's a former starter. I think he could have went three, three point two, something like that. So he's he's burning a lot through a lot of arms in that bullpen, 
and I'm I'm usually not a second guesser. I'm I'm I really don't like second guessers. But what's happening right now, I think, is is not a good thing for the Dodgers. So, what do the Dodgers have to do to get back on track to 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 uh, be able to uh, not let this series get away from them? As you as you just pointed to very clearly, they they burned up their, their bullpen. I mean, uh, they 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 went through it faster than a drunk on Friday day Friday night payday. So, what do they do? Well, today Alex Wood starts, and you know the first half of the season, Alex Wood was very very good. Um, he was pitching deep in the game, six, seven, eight innings. Um, he had his average velocity was about 95. The second half of the season, he's really dropped off. Uh, he, you know, the first half of the season, he was one of the better starters in the league. I mean, he rivaled Kershaw the first half. Uh, the second half, his velocity is down four or five miles an hour. Um, and he's not pitching very, very deep in the game. So, what they need, they need Alex Wood to recapture that first half magic. And they, he needs to go five, six, even seven innings. But I'm not sure he can do that right now because I think he's either A, tired, or B, injured, or C, both. Is is uh, is Kenta Medea, I hope I'm saying that right, is he the best pitcher on the in the Dodger bullpen right now? No, uh, Brandon Morrow. I mean, well, Kinemaeda. He's a he's a former starter. They brought him to the bullpen. He's been lights out pretty much. Brandon Morrow has been lights out all season. I mean, he brings that ninety nine to hundred mile an hour heat. He's got a wicked slider, nice curve, and then of course Kenley Jansen at the back end, who blew a second game of the year. Um, you know, even Mariano Rivera blows games occasionally. Uh, they've got a very good bullpen, but. You know, Maeda's not going to be available today. And, you know, the fact that you Darvish, they were expecting him to go six or seven last night, and he went 1.2 innings. That really, really hurt. So they're, somebody's going to have to really step up today for them to win. And it looks to me like it's going to have to be Alex Wood. I'm just not sure he can. So they're in a really difficult position right now. So we talked about the Astros a little bit. The Astros uh, have got Brad Peacock. How much of a dangerous weapon is the peacocking, if you will, for the Astros? Well, he looked great last night, but you've got, you got to consider his ERA for the playoffs is 5.00. So, um, you know, he, uh, he, he was great as a starter this year. Uh, he, he, he won 13 games, and he had about a three ERA. But, you know, the fact of the matter is um, you are what your record says you are, except when you're not. Like yesterday, he was <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're talking with Mark Timmons, L.A. Dodger Talk. Thanks, Mark, for jumping on talking a little World Series uh, with us today. So they get a win tonight. They play tonight, I believe. I don't have the schedule, but I think they play tonight, and then tomorrow's a travel night, and then they'll, they'll play again on Sunday. Do I have that correct? I mean, on Monday. Yeah, they no, they play if Sunday. They play, the, they play in Houston Sunday. Okay. Well, how big of a factor is the home field advantage, if you will, to Houston? Now, they've not lost in October at home at all this year. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> If they don't, if they don't lose uh, at home this year, then the World Series is over. Um, 
But the good thing is Kershaw goes Sunday. How so, big of a uh, how big of a factor is Clayton Kershaw in the overall scheme of the Dodgers' successful season? Well, I mean, I think he the, the first game he obviously uh, pitched very very well. He had his top stuff. Uh, went seven, probably could have gone eight, maybe nine. But I think they helped. They took him out because number one, they were ahead, and number two, they knew they were going to need him later in the series. I mean, it would not surprise me to see the Dodgers lose today because their bullpen is burned. Alex Wood, I don't have a lot of confidence in him right now. I, I think he's injured. I think he's got a shoulder problem. Um, so I don't have a lot of confidence unless the Dodgers just bring out the big sticks today against Charlie Morton. Um, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence winning this game. So I think it's going to boil down to game five that Kershaw is going to have to rescue him, and, you know, they'll go back to L.A. down three to two. That's That's my prediction. You know, how awesome was it in game two, in the opening of game two, to have Vince Scully and others, a Dodger uh, memorabilia at night, if you will, uh, come out on the field. Vince Scully, one of the best, uh, and I, I, I don't care who your team is, there's not a guy that I know of, uh, maybe, maybe uh, since uh, uh, Buck with the Cardinals, but that would be a close second. It, it, that how much did Ben Scully mean to the Dodgers, and how important was that to the fan base for him to come out and, and, and do the opening pitch along with uh, uh, the greats of the past for the Dodgers? Well, you just can't underestimate. Uh, unless you're truly a Dodger fan, it's hard to describe what Ben Scully means. But, you know, the thing is, I mean, he was the Dodger announcer for 66 years. Most older Dodger fans grew up listening to Vin Scully. Um, so it's been a big adjustment to have him retire and not in the booth. And the man just exudes class. I mean, the man is just amazing. Um, I remember the first time that I sat in the press box at Dodger Stadium, about the fourth or fifth inning, uh, during the innings I got up, Get a Pepsi in the in the uh, lunch room, which is right in back of the press box, and uh, I'm there getting some Pepsi in my cup, and then I turn around and bumped into a man, and it's Ben Scully, and he said, "Excuse me, young man," <laughs> and and just so just so eloquently, and uh, patted me on the shoulder, and and uh, you know he he was just an amazing guy. I mean, the only one man announcing box I think that there is or was there'll never be another Vin Scully but uh, he was it was very 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 uh, um, special moment at the start of game one for that to happen oh it was game one I'm sorry I thought it was game two but yeah it was no it was game two I'm I'm sorry you were right it's game two (laughs) well the Dodgers are in the World Series they're playing the Astros uh, uh, Dave Roberts has his work cut out for him. If you're sitting in the in the clubhouse getting ready for tonight's game and you're reflecting on what's happened so far, are you tipping desk and throwing chairs? Or are you just breathing easy and saying, we got this? Well, I know what I'd be doing, but <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what Doc's doing. I, I, <laughs> I, I suspect that some of the veterans on the team are stepping up and saying, look, guys, we uh, – 
we've worked hard to get here. Here we are down two to one. We know what we can do. We just got to do it. I mean, like Cody Bellinger is really pressing. I mean, he, he struck out four straight times last night. Last rookie to do that in the World Series was Mickey Mantle. And we know how that ended. He had a pretty good career. So Cody has always shown that he can adjust. He just needs to relax and make the adjustment. And, you know, you may you, you, you could see him hit, be the first rookie to hit four home runs in the World Series. I mean, he is that good. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And, and you know, something just popped into my head a minute ago when we were talking about Vince Scully. The Dodgers' new announcer is a guy named Joe Davis. And if you haven't listened to him, you need to. He's a young guy. He's about 30. And you know what? Before it's over, he's going to rival Vin Scully as being one of the best announcers in baseball. He is incredible. He has the knack of timing like Vin does, and uh, he is just an amazing, amazing announcer. So, as a I Dodger have, fan, we've been yeah. I I heard I had an opportunity to hear a couple broadcasts uh, during the playoffs before this series, and you're right, he's he's dead on. How they was was this uh, somebody that was in because we knew about Vin's re, uh, retirement for a while. So was this kind of a hand-picked guy from then? Was it, did he kind of mentor this guy? Do you know the story, how they came about getting this guy? To re- because what, you, can't fill, you can't fill Ben Scully's shoes. He's going to have to be his own guy. But like you said, he, he is very, very similar and has a lot of uh, uh, similar attributes. Yeah, I don't think he copies Ben, but he's just he's the same. He's cut out of the same cloth that Ben is, and um, – you know, he he was announcing. I think he was announcing football for Nebraska or someplace uh, when they when they got him. Um, I don't I don't remember the whole side story to that, but they were looking for an announcer and they found him and they brought him in uh, as a radio or as a, as one of the TV guys, and then um, gradually he he evolved and took Ben's seat after Ben retired. So um, we're as Dodger fans, we've really been. Uh, spoiled with having good announcers i listen to some of these other announcers and i'm sorry but uh i listen to the cardinals sometime and i just can't really stand mike shannon <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a, he's a little different that's for sure so uh so when we look at the bullpen uh clayton kershaw darvish especially you darvish you think that that loss uh, is going to be something that sticks with him, or can he shake that off? Because he wasn't so hot the other night, you Darvish. No, no, he wasn't. I mean, and he's actually the last four or five games of the season, he's been pitching very well. He pitched very well against the Cubs. Um, you know, who who knows how these guys will bounce back? Um, you know, if I had a crystal ball that could tell you that, I'd I'd be a rich man, but. You know he's gonna if the game if it goes seven he's gonna pitch game seven and um, going to be interesting to see what he does. Um, I, I suppose I suppose if things fell right he could pitch game six since he only pitched you know one point two innings last night he could pitch game six and they could possibly bring back Kershaw and Hill in game seven. I don't I don't I mean. I don't know how, how it's going to shake out. Maybe they could use a combination of, of Darvish and Hill in Game Six, and then Kershaw Game Seven. Or there's just a lot of lot of variables. But I was I was very disappointed in that they, they took Rich Hill out the other day because I thought it was too soon to go to the bullpen, and I thought they'd pay for it later, and they did. They absolutely did. Uh, Alex Wood, what are your thoughts of him? 
Well, I really like Alex Wood. He's a great guy. Um, like I said, the first half of the season, he was lights out. And, you know, I mean, he's been a good, he's been a good reliever, a good pitcher the second half of the season. But, you know, his ERA is up like two points and his, his uh, fastball is down five miles an hour. So something's going on. And um, I, I'm not sure long-term that he's not better suited for the bullpen. In fact, when the season started, I said that he was going to be an Aaron Miller type bullpen guy because he can throw 95, 96, got a great arm angle. He's hard to hit when he's, when he's throwing 95 and 96 and is getting his breaking pitches over. But I'm just not, he's on the little, he's on the fragile side. So I'm just not sure that he has the physical makeup to be a starter year in and year out. Who's the best batter on the Dodgers right now? Well, you'd have to take Justin Turner. Um, I mean, he's the he's the hottest. Um, but you know, the during the season, the top four batters have been their have been their bread and butter. I mean, Chris Taylor, who's been a great story, uh, is a great leadoff hitter. He hit 21 home runs. Uh, Got to works the counts. You know, gets on base, has speed. Corey Seager, who looked horrible last night has been very good uh, at hitting second. Turner's our number three hitter and, and uh, one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball. And then Cody Bellinger came in and just popped 39 home runs from May to through September, missed the whole month of April. So, you know, they've got a potent lineup. And then Yassiel Puig now has slid into that fifth spot, and uh, he's got 28, 29 home runs. And, and uh, so that top top five hitters they need to get with it last night they were one for 13 i believe how big of a disappointment to dodger fans or to himself or to the team has chase utley been this year well chase utley was brought in to to really mentor these young guys the young guys actually went i mean guys like Corey seager justin turner jock peterson went to uh, Andrew Friedman and asked that he be brought back. Um, so his value is not on the field as much as, as it is in the clubhouse, but it's obvious he's, he's lost uh, a little bit on his bat. He's lost a little bit on his speed, but man, the guy hustles. I mean, if you watch him, when he hits a ground ball, there's nobody running any harder than he does. Um, and right. you know this is this, this is the end of the line for him. I, I really hope the Dodgers can find a place for him in their organization after it's over, uh, because he, uh, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but he was originally drafted by the Dodgers, and he decided to go back to college for another year, and then the Phillies drafted him a year or two later. Yes. Well, Mark, Mark Timmons, L.A. Dodger Talk, joins us. I certainly want to be conscious of your time, and, and I wanted to make sure we got some talk in about the World Series. Astros have everybody's number. They have just been lights out, lights out. And, you know, they were, they were able to take care of business against the Yankees, which a lot of people thought wasn't going to happen. And I, I tell you what, you've got you to gotta like the, the, the Houston Astros. I'm still rooting for the Dodgers. I, I, I still think they can pull, pull it off. Uh, you're, you're, what are you working on, L.A. Dodger Talk? Where can people find that? Uh, what are some of the things that you guys are writing about so far this this uh, series? No, today I'm writing about how uh, the Dodgers front office and management team has been uh, has been outthought, and uh, they've 
they've they've overthought this whole thing and they've they've played the matchups too much and there's no need to go back and play baseball. Mark Timmons, LA Dodger Talk. We appreciate uh you jumping on. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? LA Dodger Talk dot com. All right, buddy. I don't, go Dodgers, I man. Don't we'll we'll t- we'll talk again soon. Have yourself a good day, sir. All right, Tom. Good talking to you. Hey, go Dodgers. You too, buddy. Go Dodgers. Mark Timmons, L.A. Dodger Talk, joins us talking a little bit about them Dodgers. Man, are they struggling big time. Uh, well, can we use the word big time? Let's use the word big time because I think it's a big disappointment. I think that we thought – I actually went to bed the other night thinking that the that the Dodgers had won, and then I woke up only to, to find out that that was not the case. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be back get into some racing talk with Matt Embry. And uh, we've still got a whole other hour behind uh, to go yet. We're going to be talking with Ed Kratz a little bit later on today, NFL. Of course, we're going to talk about Joe Flacco. That hit, was it targeting, was it not? Well, we'll find out. We'll talk about it. My name's Tom Mark with President Taylor. We'll be right back. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new Beat Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Pork Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar! 
Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. And welcome back to The Balance. My name is Saul Mark with Sal Presidente. Thank you, Mr. Mark Timmons from L.A. Dodger Talk. Jumping on, talking with us a little bit about the Dodgers and the Astros. Dodgers struggling a little bit in the World Series against the Houston Astros. I tell you what, the the Astros have had everybody's number. They've been able to shut down the Yankees. I don't think a lot of people thought that to happen. But anyway, they've got their work cut out for them. But I still think the Dodgers can do it. I'm certainly rooting for the National League. But joining us now is... Matthew uh, Embry uh, joins us, uh, our official open wheel contributor, uh, uh, certainly IndyCar contributor, and uh, with Open Wheel Now. Did I get it right this time, Matt? Yes, sir. Fantastic. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> so. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what we know about as far as some changes in the 2017. Uh, I mean, sorry, 2018 IndyCar season. We had some news come down this week. Also, uh, we got a pretty good look at that new uh, fancy IndyCar Indy that's going to be on the track this year. Yeah, we certainly did. Got the Honda teams out there, uh, James Hitchcliffe and Scott Dixon and several engineers from other teams that did not participate uh, directly on track uh, were on there on Thursday. Good thing they did because it actually uh, rained and sleet is what I heard down uh, your way uh, yesterday. Yeah, we had a little bit of that. So, yeah, good news. They got out on the track just in time. Uh, of course, the big news is, driver department-wise, uh, Ed Jones signed for uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, it tells me that their original plan with uh, Brendan Hartley uh, had to be altered, I'm assuming, because Brendan Hartley is driving once again for Scuderia Toro Rosso at the, the Mexico Grand Prix at Autodrome Rodriguez Rodriguez this weekend. That probably gives me a sign that he is their choice for 2018. And uh, the only thing it hurts, though, is... Uh, ultimately Dale Coyne Racing because it takes away their money guy as far as the Dubai money with the oil money and all that stuff to provide. So chances are uh, looking ahead for Dale Coyne, they're probably going to be looking for another paid driver to go alongside Bourdais so they can keep the all the big engineering talent that Bourdais brought in, like Craig Hampson, et cetera, uh, in the fold. So I know a lot of people are saying Connor Daly for this seat, but I just don't see it happening. I think the better option for Coin right now is either Esteban Gutierrez, who is backed by Carlos Slim, the Mexican telecommunications king, 
or another guy that's got a lot of money because of his dad, and that's R.C. Enerson. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things they're doing with IndyCar uh, to uh, to get ratings, if you will, for one. But it appears that they are uh, going away from uh, Verizon and, uh, you know, going to be making some changes. And there's rumor, has it, that Amazon is going to start picking up an online stream for IndyCar going forward in 2018. That's a rumor. What do we know about that? That's the first I've heard of that, actually. Uh the thing is right now, with more cars in the field and there's a bigger class right now, the money that, you know, the title sponsor needs to provide is probably more now than what Verizon really cares to pay for right now. Sure, they're going to keep with uh, Team Penske and their partnership beyond uh, 2018. But I think right now it's going to take a sponsor that has a little more money in the till uh, as far as the title sponsor at this point that's going to back the series at this point because clearly uh, Verizon uh, is at their maximum right now of what they were willing to spend uh, on IndyCar racing, and it's unfortunate, but the fact of the matter is you need to find someone that is willing to pay the money, and the numbers that the Mark Miles, et cetera, are looking for now, because there's a bigger footprint now for IndyCar compared to the last couple of years ago, I think is more than what Verizon is willing to pay at this point. But, uh, yeah, the Amazon thing will be interesting to see. Hopefully it's not going to be a pay service thing like that, because I don't think that's where, it asks, where IndyCar should be going, because NASCAR's done that, and I don't think it's worked out well for them at all. But, uh, yeah, if it's a free option service, I'd be for it. But if it's a pay service, uh, I think that's maybe not the way they should be going. Well, certainly uh, IndyCar season has finished, but Formula One season is still underway. And, you know, sometimes uh, we don't talk as much about Formula One on this show as, as maybe we could or should. Uh, certainly they're one of the premier racing leagues in the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think we talk more domestic racing, but certainly this is a great time to catch up on Formula News and uh, Formula Gossip, if you will, and uh, and what's going on with, with uh, uh, Formula One. I believe they're down in Mexico uh, this weekend. So talk with us, bring us up to speed, what we need to know, what we don't need to know, and what's going on in Formula Boy, if only uh, my buddy uh, Cam Patterson in England was here. He's our writer on OpenWheelNow.com for Formula One. But uh, what I can tell you is I think at this point, uh, Mercedes already has clinched the Constructors' Championship. They did that last weekend in Austin, Texas, at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, unless something bizarre happens uh, this weekend, I think Lewis Hamilton will claim the Drivers' Championship. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, I think, is just too far behind right now unless – Something real weird happens to Hamilton where he fails to finish on the score the last couple rounds. So I think ultimately right now the championship is in Hamilton's hands as long as he doesn't make any mistakes. And if he wins this weekend, I think he all but clinches the title. And then, of course, uh, another thing obviously to keep an eye on is McLaren. Uh, we already know that Fernando Alonso is not coming back to Indianapolis next year, so he will drive the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, McLaren has parted ways with Honda. They're now running a Renault engine for 2018. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. And, uh, of course, speaking about Brendan Hartley, of course, Toro Rosso picks up that Honda contract. So it'll be interesting to see if that helps or hurts uh, Toro Rosso in the long run. So you mentioned Fernando Alonso. Obviously, we did. And our juniors and also Lily. Um, We're very – we have some great pieces with our freshmen. And I think we're just basically on a – did did I did I lose you there? Are you are you still with? No, I just sneezed for a second there. 
Oh, no problem. I, I thought I heard another feed in the background there, so I was like, wanted to make sure that I, I, I didn't, I wasn't picking up something else there. That was kind of weird, uh, but that's okay. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in NASCAR. Certainly, NASCAR is uh, wrapping down their season as well. They're in Mar- uh, the uh, Camping World Truck Series is in Martinsville, and the, certainly the uh, Martinsville uh, Speedway also for the uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Series at Xfinity as well. So as we're getting close. To the champion and getting the champion, those points are becoming more and more important. Those those uh, those standings are becoming more and more important with NASCAR. What are your thoughts in the NASCAR world? It's looking like Truex uh, for the championship, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, obviously uh, it's impressive considering this team is going first in a row is going to be downsizing to a single car again for 2018. They're going to shut down the Eric Jones ride, which he joins uh, Joe Gibbs racing during the off season. Ultimately, though, big stuff from him. Uh, good thing is they're back on a short track because the way they've been driving, it's made for short tracks. Uh, there's just been way too many accidents at these intermediate tracks like Kansas and Talladega in the last couple of weeks. It's taken the fun out of the racing. I think it's made it easier for a guy like Truex uh, to run at the front. I think, unfortunately, you got guys that are driving all these racetracks like they're short tracks and try to beat and bang their way to victory. And uh, I got to say, looking ahead to next year's Daytona 500, uh, I would not be. I think the big story in my mind, as far as the 2018 Daytona 500, Tom, is going to be attrition. Uh, when less than half the field finishes the race, I think there's only like 12, 13 cars that finished at Talladega last uh, two weeks ago. Uh, that's a very uh, disturbing stat, and it not only has happened at Talladega, it's happened at all three other restrictor plate races this season. So, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of restricted plate racing, but I, I'm just not uh, – I just wish that it, – it, couldn't they adjust the restricted plate racing a little bit better to make it more enjoyable for the fans and safer for the drivers as well? Well, the problem is it's not the car. It's the driver. The drivers are being way too aggressive. They're going in the holes that are just not there. And they are taking way too unnecessary risks. It's not the car. It's not the situation with the restrictor plate. I think it's the drivers just being way too aggressive. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to you were going to say uh, something else there, man. I apologize about that. Uh, so, so let's uh, kind of just uh, uh, tie everything up in a bow. I know I've only got you for a few minutes, so I wanted to cover everything. Uh, certainly, uh, let's talk about the Daytona uh, uh, Rolex 24 Endurance rate race coming up. Uh, uh, I think Alonzo's going to race that. Am I am I correct on that? That's the plan. Is the Fernando Alonso to drive? Uh, Big pickup, though, for uh, Wade Taylor Racing. Uh, they decided uh, to, for their replacement, Ricky Taylor, who's joined uh, the Petsky Accurate team. They've signed Rager Vanderzanda, a guy that's uh, extremely aggressive, probably one of the nicer guys uh, that I met when I was at the uh, paddock for a few years ago with last time IMSA ran in Indianapolis, Motor Speedway. Uh, be very interesting to see how he gets along with Jordan Taylor. And uh, I think they have the pairing, assuming – the DPIs, as far as the manufacturer cars, stay ahead of the regular uh, LMP2s that run the stock engine. Uh, I think at this point, uh, you got to like uh, WTR's chances of possibly win back-to-back titles looking ahead to 2018, even though Ricky Taylor's not going to be there next year. How important is Lewis Hamilton's legacy to Formula One? 
big considering he is, you know, a minority driver. He's the first and the only black driver ever to win a Formula One race, a Formula One World Championship. I think that is a big deal in today's standards. I mean, minority drivers are at a low, especially with, you know, all the politics going on and all the other stuff we've seen and all the other things that make it tough for, you know, minorities to get into the sport. And I think ultimately uh, he is a one-in-a-million driver, and I think it is awesome to see that someone like him can come in and win, not only win, get competitive rides, and board to defend their place on the circuit. I mean, from year one, from his first, very first race, he has been a competitive driver. I don't think you can make uh, any doubts at any time that he has not been a competitive driver uh, in Formula One, and not too many men uh, could say that. Even Ayrton Senna wasn't competitive in his first year, and Lewis Hamilton was challenging for a world championship. So what does that tell you? Well, and that, that's the thing, and I think, well, I think how, how important is his run in Mexico this, this weekend? Well, like I said, if he wins, the championship is pretty much his at this point because Sebastian Vettel is so far behind, uh, it would take an absolute collapse from Hamilton and, you know, Vettel winning out uh, to give him any kind of a hope to win the title, and I just don't see that happening at this point. So if Hamilton wins again, and Vettel, even if Vettel finishes second, I don't think it's going to be enough to keep uh, Vettel in the chase for the championship. So we know uh, Stefan Wilson uh, is confirmed to run with the Indianapolis 500 with Andretti. That's kind of a make-do uh, for uh, uh, Andretti because they kind of pushed him aside to allow Alon- Fernando Alonso, and certainly he knows racing, and it's good to see them allow him to do this. But how important is it to, that – what, what's been the problem with Stefan Wilson getting a full-time ride? Is it money that he's not been able to raise? Because certainly with the legacy of his brother, it, that should come relatively easy. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's something different than money. He hasn't been racing. He hasn't been racing. I think he's only run a handful of races here and there. And you just can't pick and choose your way to a series. You've got to run – you know, a multiple schedule, whether that's in sports car, if that's in Indy Lights, you've got to run consistently. And, I mean, that's why, for I think, for instance, J.R. Hildebrand was so uh, subpar this past year. Up until this year, he ran maybe one or two races a year, and that was it. Uh, you just can't do that and then expect to be into a competitive ride like Andretti Osborne right off the bat. That's why Zach Veach got this ride, because he has been a consistent driver in Indy Lights, and that's why he got the seat as opposed to Stefan Wilson. Uh, I think right now, if you are going to be successful, you need to be consistently driving somewhere, and Stefan Wilson hasn't been doing that. But is that a Stefan Wilson thing, or is that, an, uh, is that a team owner thing? Is that, is that a uh, Andretti thing, or a Ganassi thing, or a, or, or a, or a, a, a team owner thing? Because it, it, it looks to me like if he, if he does a good showing in Indianapolis in May next year, that, that could open up a lot of doors for him. But why hasn't he been racing? Is this because Stefan's picking and choosing, or is he picking and I think it's Stefan's picking and choosing. He has opportunities. There are plenty of seats available, for instance, in IMSA. There are plenty of seats available in Indy Lights. There are plenty of seats available in all these other minor classes, even in the European lower divisions, and he just hasn't taken them. Uh, That's not on the owner to sign him. If Stefan doesn't go after these rides, that's not on the owner. That's on Stefan to be a little more determined to find a ride. I think that's more on him needing to find a ride, not on the team owner needing him. 
Been talking with Matt Embry. Uh, Matt, just uh, wrap it up here real quickly on anything that you guys are working on. I, I wanted to make sure I kept you for the time that you said. But uh, talk with us about maybe some of the things that, that you're working on that we didn't cover. I know you also uh, cover a little bit of Notre Dame football. Uh, bring us up to, to speed on anything you want to talk about that. I know you cover some motocross as well. So uh, any, any additional parting thoughts of wisdom, sir? Well, I think big game for Notre Dame. I think the big question is, can they run the football against a North Carolina State defense that's ranked in the top 10 uh, with the run defense, but is ranked in the top 120s in terms of pass defense? I think Brandon Wimbush has got to have to do it more with his arm than his legs, like he, uh, as opposed to what he did against USC, when he was more of a running quarterback than a throwing quarterback. I think if they're going to be successful tonight against NC State with their play, he's going to need to do it with his arm more than his feet because – You've got on the other side not only a strong defense, but you've got a very good gunslinger in Ryan Finley that I think is probably the best quarterback you have never heard of as far as NCAA players. Matt, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Again, uh, Open Wheel Now on Twitter is the links. Uh, the official webpage is popularopenwheel.com. And we should have more stuff, including uh, another T report card. I just posted one on Ray Hall this past uh, week. And there'll be one on coin this upcoming week. Matt, we appreciate you joining us. Have yourself a good weekend. Obviously, we'll stay in touch with you as uh, throughout these these off seasons, and certainly as we uh, gear up next year, we'll have you on more often as well, sir. Anytime, Tom. Thanks. Thanks, Matt Embry. Matt Embry uh, joins us today, talking, kind of catching us up with racing. Nor- normally, Steve Wilson is our uh, uh, editor and publisher of Speedway Digest, is our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, he's kind of feeling underneath the weather uh, today, so he wasn't able to, to join us. So we kind of just wrapped up everything into one big uh, bag of racing goodies, if you will. My name is Tom Mark Wilson, President Day, 917-889-8516 is the digits. We'll be right back. We're going to continue this uh, madness of sports that we like to talk about. And then certainly coming up at the top of the hour, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, joins us. And we've got a lot to talk about in the NFL. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. 
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. the Balance Studios in Indianapolis, Indiana. My name is Tom Marquez El Presidente. Welcome back to my chamber of sports torture. Chamber? <laughs> it certainly seems like the world of uh, sports gets us all in a, in a bundle and all worked up. And, you know, we, we talk about the anthem. We talk about owners' comments. We talk about sometimes I just want to be that guy. Just get off my lawn. Let's just get back to playing sports. Everything does not have to be a political, a political outgoing, if you will. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that conversation a little bit later on. You know, we we talked with um, Mark Timmons, LA Dodger talk. I appreciated him uh, uh, jumping on with us, and certainly maybe on the surface, it seems like the Dodgers has kind of got themselves in a in a in a pickle here. Kind of got themselves in a on a slippery slope, and. Uh, certainly, I can tell you one thing. Brad Peacock had their number. Lights out. And uh, <laughs> you know, this is what this is what I was going to say. And I, and I was like, I said, well, I'm not going to get on this political uh, PC show thing. But okay, everybody's talking about the. Gesture, if you will, did, did uh, Garrell make a, a slant eye gesture after homing, homering off of you, Darvish? I don't know, but why does it matter? I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't be we. Why, for example, owner of the Houston Texans says, well. We can't let the inmates be running the asylum. We all know what he meant. We all knew what he was talking about. We all know, know the point that he was trying to get across. But yet this has turned into a huge, huge, huge 
blown out political soapbox. And and maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm weird. I here's what I I say. You know, yes, there there's blatant disregard. There's there's things that should never happen. But there's also things that come on, put on your big boy pants. Stop being such crybabies. Seriously. Get off my lawn. I'm going to create a segment here. Start it sometime. Get off Tom's lawn. <laughs> so, and I don't know, is, is, it, is it a protest against our president? Is it a protest against the anthem? Is it a protest against kneeling? Now is it, now is it a, 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 oh, I put my hand on my face a certain way, so he was making a gesture at me. Uh, isn't it time that we just get back to playing the game? Isn't it time that we just say, hey, let's put some of this stuff behind us. So anyway, the Dodgers are falling behind in the World Series against the Houston Astros. And, you know, one could say that that was probably predictable. Now, as Mark Timmons talked with us about earlier, they both want this really bad. I mean, hell, I would want a World Series really bad, too. What happened to the Cardinals, anyway? <laughs> so nine one seven eighty nine eight five one six is is my is, is my digits and you know we're gonna when Mo comes on here in just a little bit we're gonna talk with him a little bit about the NBA season and the start of NBA we're also gonna be talking about bet against the spread normally Rick Riggins joins us about now and we get into the college football uh, top twenty five talk and NFL talk also with Ed Kratz uh, but uh, Rick is. Uh, out of town today, so he's not going to be able to join us. So it's going to be me and Ed Kratz, and then Mo's going to join us here in just a little bit. I do want to talk some NBA. I do want to talk some Pacers in Oklahoma City against Paul George. But you know what? I'm okay with, and of course we're going to talk about the Colts and their game against the Bengals this year, this week. We're going to talk NFL. We're going to talk about that that hit with Joe Flacco and the Miami Dolphins was it targeting was it not i think you could you could make a case both ways and i certainly want to get into that conversation with Ed Kratz so we will kind of save some of that but you know i think there's it, there's you you could make a case and say it was targeting and maybe he should have been ejected from the game or maybe he should be suspended and or fined but you could also make the case that Joe Flacco did not give the appropriate signal, if you will. In other words, slid late. Thought maybe he thought maybe he thought that he could make the first down, and uh, he just simply realized, oh, I'm not as fast as I used to be. And then he decided to make the dive, and and uh, so that's you know he he slid late. That caused the the, the hit, which is a Man, he just got his bell rung. He had to have some stitches in his ear. You know, and certainly it created some melee on the field, and maybe it maybe it well should have. So we would like to hear your thoughts on that. Make sure you're following us on social media. This is the one place, guys, the one place where fanatics can come together. 
and talk about their favorite teams. The balance, that's us. We bring you an analytical breakdown of sports from a fan's point of view. Well, analytical might be stretching a little bit. <laughs> we bring we bring you breaking news, commentary, scores, stats, standings, audio, and highlights. Make sure that you're following this at T-Balance. And also make sure if you're downloading the, the podcast on iTunes, well, thank you, first of all. It's about time you did that. Now, do one other thing. While you're there on your app, there's a little button called subscribe. Can you just hit that subscribe button for me? That helps us help you and, you know, lets us know that we've got some people that, that like to listen to us and, and so forth. So we've got a lot of subscribers, so I want to thank you on that. And, and uh, we are going to be on TuneIn and other uh, podcast outlets coming soon. T- tune in as soon as maybe this week. Um, so that's going to be exciting for you TuneIn fans, if you will, that, that uh, can find us on TuneIn. At T-Balance. At Two Hot Corner, that's all of our baseball. At Breaking Rink, that's all of our college sports. At Indian May, that's our that's our uh, IndyCar and, and open wheel type racing. And at Pro Indy, that's everything to do with sports inside the inside Indianapolis, whether it's IU or it's the Colts or the Pacers or the Fever or the Fuel. Uh, or it's Ball State, or if it affects Indianapolis local sports or regional local sports to Indiana, you can find Twitter coverage on at Pro Indy. My name is Tom Marquis, Al Presidente. We'll be right back with Ed Kratz when we get into this NFL talk. You're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com. Welcome back to The Balance. My name's Tom Mark with El Presidente. One hour in the books. Thanks to Mark Timmons of L.A. Dodger Talk, one of the premier authorities on the L.A. Dodgers, talking with us. Well, man, the Dodgers have gotten themselves on a slippery slope. Hopefully they can pull out of it because the Astros, they have had everybody's number to include the New York Yankees. I would say it's been an exciting World Series, but that would be a lie. But it's certainly not been very exciting for Dodger fans or fans of the National League like myself. Thanks to the Matt Embryoso for catching us up on Open Wheel Racing. But now it's time to get into some NFL talk with Mr. Ed Kratz, the official NFL contributor for The Balance. How are you, Tom? I'm doing dandy, Tom. How are you? Just, just dandy. Well, I'm doing better than Joe Flacco is, that's for sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it. I don't mean to make light of it, but I see both sides of the story on this. And, and certainly, uh, as I'm sure that you watched, I mean, uh, still, Baltimore just did a stomping on Miami. Uh, but at, at the same time, I don't know. You can look at it both ways. So that's what we'll do here, and then we can draw our own conclusions. One thing I think Joe Flacco slid too late. And he didn't really give the appropriate uh, the appropriate uh, signal, if you will, or the, or um, uh, uh, Bo- Alonzo bore down on him, helmet straight down on him. Of course, knocked him out, knocked his helmet off, put a gash in his ear, created some melee on the field. Or you can look at it from the, from the other way that hey, a defensive player was just doing his job and. Maybe he did not realize, maybe he thought that Joe Flacco was going for the first down, and at the last minute, Joe Flacco says, I can't do this, and he just, it was just it was just a, an accident, unintentional accident on his part. Do you think that he should have been ejected? Do you think that he should have been charged for uh, targeting? Do you think he should be suspended and or fined? Do you think that uh, Harbaugh was right in getting in his face? Of course, all kinds of melee that happened. Everybody's talking about this. It's one of the biggest stories of the week, so that's why we're talking about it. But what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, you know, it certainly wasn't a good look, especially being on national television uh, at that point. And, you know, Flacco, I think it was third down and 10. 
Um, and, you know, he was trying to get that first down, and that's why he slid late. He was right near the, the, <clears throat> the first down stick. Um, he did slide late. Um, you know, I, and I, you know, Kiko Alonso played in Philadelphia for a year. I'm not going to pretend like I got to know him very well. He, you know, he wasn't uh, very cordial with the media. But to me, he never seemed like a malicious guy um, who would do that on purpose. Um, and it's not like he led with his helmet. He led with his shoulder. Uh, so I can see Kiko's side of it. I can see that every defensive player that I've listened to this week or have talked to this week uh, thought it was a clean hit, <laughs> you know, but that's them being defensive players and, uh, you know, standing up for their defensive brethren, if you will. So I thought at the time when it happened that Kiko should have been ejected from the game. I just thought it was a bad look. You, you know, your quarterback is going to go right into concussion protocol. So he's out. So, to me, it's a tit-for-tat thing, and you have to get the defensive player out of the game as well. Now, is he going to be suspended this week? I don't know if he should be suspended. I know he'll get fined heavily uh, just because it wasn't a good look, whether he meant to do it on purpose or not. But I don't think he'll get suspended. I think he'll get fined for sure. But I think at the time, he should have been thrown out of the game. If your quarterback goes out from a hit of that nature, then I think it should cost the defensive player as well. Um, but you know, I guess the refs are hesitant to throw players out of games. And, um, and like you said, I'm not sure it was a completely illegal hit. Flacco did slide late. There's no question. And he was trying to pick up that first down. Um, and Kiko did not lead with his head. You know, he led with the shoulder pad. And, uh, by the time he slid, I think Alonzo was already kind of in the air launching himself to, uh, try to make a tackle and had Flacco not slid, he probably would have hit Flacco right in the thigh pad with his shoulder and taken him down. So um, it wasn't an illegal hit, but I, you know, I still think there's something to be said for rejecting a player on the spot. If you're going to lose your quarterback for the game and it was pretty clear, you know, he was bleeding from his ear. Mm-hmm. He had his finger up. He had that vacant concussed look to him that Joe Flacco wasn't returning to that game. And I think they should have thrown Kiko out as well. Well, then you'd have to make the call as as is this a targeting call? And at that at that point, I don't know that we knew that it was because when you when you when you have a targeting call, you've got to improve that prove that it, there's intent. And as you said, he didn't go with head first; he went with his pads. That does not right. conclusively prove that he had intent to target. So by the rules, I don't know that he should have been ejected. Well, I think also more disturbing than this is a lot of times uh, coaches get their passion in the way, players get their passion in the way. Certainly Harbaugh created a lot of melee on the field and instead of letting the refs sort things out. Was Harbaugh right, wrong, or indifferent, or just, you know, protecting his quarterback, you know, hey, doing what coaches do, but wasn't he wrong also to go out on the field and begin to get in, in uh, Kiko's face? Well, you know, look, put yourself in Harbaugh's shoes. You know, you're coaching. You know, you're, every game you win is, you know, keeps you employed. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think I think if I would have gone right out on that field too. You know, it's an emotional game. You just watched your quarterback have his helmet knocked off. You knew at the time that Flacco was done for the game, maybe for a couple games here. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, was he right? I don't know if he was right or wrong, but I certainly would have done the same thing if I was in Jim Harbaugh's shoes. I would have gone right after Kiko and got in his face and, you know, created the melee that happened. But, you know, I'm a pretty emotional guy too. And 
and I'm not an NFL coach, but I would have probably gone out there and shown a little fire too and stand up for my player. Well, I think that Kiko did in the in the post conference uh, to the press. I think he kind of, uh, in in his own way, apologized and said he wasn't trying to cause harm to Flacco. He wasn't targeting. He's like, you know, it was just a, an unavoidable collision. Uh, like you said, defensive players will be defensive players, and you know, let's let's face it. I mean, when you in a, in a, and I mean this analogy in the nicest way, I guess I shouldn't maybe use this analogy, but it's the best one that comes to mind it, because I know it's so sensitive with with uh, Michael Vick and all that. But if you train a pit bull to kill, they're going to kill. So when you train a defensive player to to be a a strong defensive player, that's what they're going to do. That's their instinct. And everything happens, one, two, three, click, 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 click. And sometimes you, your mind does not the one thinking. It's your training and instinct that kicks in. And maybe that was what was happening with Kiko, playing the devil's advocate, yeah. that is. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. And like I said, I, you know, I, Kiko was in Philadelphia with the Eagles for one year before heading to Miami. And he always seemed like a very mellow, you know, kind of keep-to-himself kind of guy. He didn't show any of those. Uh, you know, any of that tendency toward being malicious at all while he was in Philly. And you're right. It's a bang, bang play. And, and I honestly think that had Flacco not slid, Kiko would have hit him right in the thigh pad, you know, and brought him down that way. But because he slid that shot toward the leg went to the head instead. But, and I know it's the rules and you have to prove targeting, but I still am of a belief that, you know, when your quarterback goes out, if he was, if that was caused by that type of a shot, I think the defensive player has to go as well. And that's his penalty. And then he doesn't, maybe he doesn't get fined that week. Maybe he doesn't sit out and get suspended. That's his penalty. He has to miss the rest of that game. But I know that's not the rule, but I still think when you lose your quarterback, you know, there has to be some kind of a tit for a tat there. Right, and absolutely, and you know the the difference. Of course, we see it here in Indianapolis. Uh, the difference between Q one and Q two, sometimes in night and day, and it's not uh, like you're throwing a Q two player in there and it's like, hey, I, I can pick up where he left off at. Uh, there's a reason they're the Q two player, and when you have to go to a Q two player, you're, you're just trying to survive at that point. And as we know very well that what we're dealing with with here in Indianapolis with Jacoby Brissett and and Andrew Luck, and maybe we'll see a a thing in the future, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it, but you know, since we're all about this being a quarterback's game, we gotta we go overboard on protecting the quarterback, this and that, but I'm all, I'm all fa- favor, if if they can't get rid of the ball, just take a knee, take the penalty, take a knee don't worry about trying to get the, the six yards or, you know, uh, whatever it is, and then, you know just surrender yourself at that point and, and maybe that would save certain issues instead of them trying to run a lot. Maybe we'll get to the point yeah. where coaches will start doing that. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, you know, those quarterbacks, they're not used to getting hit hit at all. But, you know, you mentioned the Q2s and those, those backup quarterbacks, you know, we, we follow the league pretty closely, Tom. And, you know, could you name five backup quarterbacks in this league or, or ten? I, you know, I when Flacco went down, I'm thinking to myself, who, who is the Ravens' backup quarterback? Who? And then Ryan Mallett came in. <laughs> you know, so you're right. Yeah. There is a huge drop-off to that number two in a lot of cases. Um, they're, they're, it's that way. And, you know, to bring up Colin Kaepernick, he's still sitting out there. He'd probably be a pretty good number two uh, for somebody. But, you know, again, that's a whole other subject. But, uh, 
you know, there, there is a big drop off to that second quarterback and Ryan Mallett. I don't, you know, he's won some games in this league and um, you know, we'll see if the Ravens can probably win these next, you know, one or two games that Flacco is going to have to miss because of that concussion. Well, we'll, we'll see what, what happens, but there again, we saw another just demise uh, in the NFL, one dominant team over another. And, and, you know, certainly we, we saw it with Indianapolis and the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, and Jacoby Brissett, and uh, Chuck Magano still has his job, and they're going to Cincinnati uh, this week. Uh, you know, I don't know uh, which is the bigger dumpster fire right now, the Indianapolis Colts or the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, but uh, we're going to see. We're going to see come Sunday. What are your thoughts on on? You know, it's just it's just got to the point where I I just. It doesn't matter to me if they fire Chuck Pagano or not as a, as a Colts fan because it's not going to change the wins and losses. It's not going to speed up the timetable for, for uh, Andrew Luck. So if they want to wait till the bye week, if they want to wait till the end of the season, I mean, Chuck Pagano's all but secured his future, and I'm sure his agent is, is trying to find him another job. Now, and to, and to be quite fair, I you know, if you look at the, the NFL outside of Indianapolis, I think a lot of teams like Chuck Pagano. I would not be surprised if he gets fired one day and hired the next uh, so I think that he'll be okay, but I mean, at this point, I don't know what to say about the Indianapolis coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what to say. They can't pass block and they can't cover anybody. And so that adds up to me to a, you know, a four win season. If they're lucky, uh, you know, how, you hate to see your quarterback get sacked 10 times in a game. My goodness. That, that's just dreadful. Yes. Um, offensive line play. And, you know, maybe Brissett held the ball too long on some of those, but whatever the case is, 10 sacks is just, absolutely ridiculous and you wonder what kind of quarterback Brissett's going to be this week you know how shell-shocked he might be from those 10 sacks last week and uh if he'll be able to rise to the occasion and play to a level that can lead this team to a win I I really don't think they will I think the Bengals you know I think the Bengals passing game like I said the Colts can't cover anybody either on defense um I just don't see what the Colts have this year to to win too many more games unfortunately for them and for you, long-suffering Colts fans there in Indianapolis, um, <laughs> I just I just don't see a very successful year going forward. Last game, last week's game kind of sensed it for me. I, you just saw all the warts, and I just don't see how you get better. And Pagano, I think if you fire him now, I think that kind of the one advantage that does have is it sends a message to the rest of this play, the rest of this team is that look, you know, you, none of you are safe. You're all playing for your jobs probably on this team and probably in the league. If you don't put anything on tape, you know, you'll be selling insurance next, uh, you know, next fall because you're not going to be part of the NFL. So, you know, I think that would serve notice to this team that, look, we're, we're cleaning house here and you're under a very uh, high-powered microscope here. And if you don't perform, then you're going to. And maybe the players know that, but I think if you fire your coach right now, it kind of cements that idea that, hey, they're serious. Uh so we'll see. I mean, you know, Pagano, I don't know if he'll land on his feet as a head coach. Certainly he can be a defensive coordinator somewhere, I guess. But, um, you know, we'll see if a team would hire him as the head coach. I don't know. I think the Colts just need to clean house, you know, top to bottom. Yeah. And, and, and start fresh. And I think that's exactly what Ballard has in place and, and want to do. And honestly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised just because of his relationship with Kansas City if we see Kansas City's uh, special teams uh, guy uh, – as our head coach, I can't remember his name now, but uh, is it, is it he's Taub? one is of the. So yeah, Tal. I think Taub? he's one of the most. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, he's one of the most sought after coaches for new coach, uh, new coaching hires, 
and certainly with uh, with uh, the relationship with uh, Kansas City, I wouldn't be surprised there. Now, I know there's a lot of talk and rumbling here in Indianapolis. Of course, that happens every time that, that, that there's a possibility of a coaching change, especially here in Indianapolis, and that's a, a uh, bringing in Peyton Manning as a, as a president part owner, bringing in John Gruden as the, as the head coach, and uh, that Gruden-Manning combo would be exactly what the Colts need. I, I, don't, I don't know nothing against uh, John Gruden, but I think he's perfectly happy with his ESPN gig. Although his, I could see him maybe going to Tennessee because that's where his son's going, but I could also see him coming to Indianapolis. But I don't, I don't know that that would be the 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 savior savior for the Colts. Well, maybe Chip Kelly, Tom. How about Chip Kelly? Bring in Chip, huh? Run that high power, you know, that <laughs> fast paced up tempo offense. How would you like to see that in Indianapolis? It, our 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 players would die. Probably of a heart attack on the field. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I tell yeah, you what. You know, just, yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, it, it's fun to be an Eagles fan, though. I'll tell you what, you've got yourself the MVP as 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 a quarterback. If we were to award MVPs today, you guys are certainly well on your way to an NFC championship, if not a Super Bowl championship. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right about Carson Wentz, and you know, head coach Doug Peterson said during a press conference this week that he expects Carson Wentz to be in the MVP talk for the rest of his career. Every year he expects that. And, you know, he may not win it this year, but maybe next year, the year after. I mean, remember, Carson Wentz is only 24 years old. He's only in his second year. He's only played 23 NFL games. And, you know, what he's shown these last two weeks on national television, I think has really opened the eyes of some people around the league, some fans around the league that, this kid is the real deal. I mean, he, he keeps plays alive with his feet. You know, he led the team in rushing last week in that win over the Redskins on Monday night. He ran for five first downs. And, I, you know, that play that he made where it looked like he was sacked and then somehow was able to kind of get out of this pile of players and run for 17 yards on a third and eight and keep that drive alive, that, you know, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. But uh, the Eagles right now are 6-1. and one. They did lose two key players in that game against the Redskins. They lost their left tackle, Jason Peters, who is arguably a future Hall of Fame player. Uh, he's a nine- or ten-time pro bowler, 35 years old. He tore his ACL and his MCL. He's done for the year. We'll see if he has the desire to come back and rehab that and return next year at the age of 36. Not sure on that. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they lost their their defensive quarterback in Jordan Hicks, the linebacker who last year led this team in interceptions with five of them. Um, he was the guy that wore the radio in his helmet and set that defense uh, right prior to the snap. So they're two huge losses. And the Eagles have had a lot of injuries this year. They lost Darren Sproles, who they were counting on this year. They lost him early for the season. Uh, they also lost Chris Maragos, their, you know, their special teams captain. And uh, leading tackler on special teams with a with a knee injury, so you know they've been hit hard with injuries, and that's just part of life in the NFL. And uh, you know we'll see if the Eagles can overcome these two latest ones. They were able to overcome the loss of Sproles and and even Ronald Darby, who dislocated his ankle, who they were counting on the cornerback after trading Jordan Matthews for him. He hurt his ankle in the opener and hasn't played since. So they've overcome a lot so far. We'll see if they can overcome these two. They're throwing a second year player in at left tackle. Alapulavati Vaitai is his name, and he's the nicest kid in the world, but uh, can he block? You know, and it's Carson Wentz's blind side. 
So that's a bit of a concern. And then on defense, can they shuffle enough pieces around to cover the, for the loss of Jordan Hicks? We'll see. They're playing the winless 49ers Sunday. It could be a monsoon here in Philadelphia. These last two days have been beautiful, but the weather is supposed to turn. There's a 90% chance of rain for Sunday and calling for one to three inches. We'll see if that develops. If it does, that could make this game very problematic for the Eagles because sometimes the weather does kind of help the underdog. And let's face it, the 49ers are a huge underdog at 0-7. But tomorrow or Sunday we'll start finding out about whether or not the Eagles can overcome the loss of Jason Peters on offense and Jordan Hicks on defense. Winter is coming, as they say, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, so uh, you think the Browns will do better in England at a rug, uh, rug, rugby stadium than they do at home against the Vikings? <laughs> you really want me to answer that? I have one word. No. Uh, Another 40-0 really... uh, loss. Huh? <laughs> yeah, boy, you know – Everybody likes to kick the Browns. You know, they they just kind of, you know, they're, they're down and out. and They've been down and out for a while. And I don't see any reason for anybody to, you know, set their alarm clocks for, uh, you know, Sunday morning to get up and watch that one. Uh, because I just don't think the Browns will compete with the Vikings. And, you know, when you talk oh. about Carson Wentz, you know, I always wonder what Browns fans are thinking. They passed on Carson Wentz when they traded out of that number two pick. They could have had him. They also could have had Deshaun Watson last year. But yet they went with Deshaun Kaiser, and, you know, he's been kind of yo-yoed in and out of the lineup by Hugh Jackson, which hasn't helped the kid, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, I don't see the Browns getting well soon here, um, and England won't help. Deshaun Kaiser should have just stayed at Notre Dame and uh, in, in, in see yeah. what would have happened that way. But but anyway, yeah, not much to talk about there. Uh, and yeah, misery loves company, so anytime I can poke at the Browns, I'm all for it. But I noticed I noticed the Indianapolis Colts official tweet uh, sent out on Thursday night uh, to the Miami Dolphins, and the tweet was, it happens. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I remember when Bill Pullian was here, who would have ever been the social media director here then would have tweeted that they'd been fired immediately. Uh, but uh, I got yeah, humor out of right. it anyway. So, so let's, uh, let, uh, let's go around uh, the NFL. If you well, you got the, the Bears at the Saints. Uh, thoughts on that game? Well, the Saints are playing themselves right into the uh, the playoff picture here. It's a home game. The Bears have been playing well, too. They've won, I think, two in a row. Um, you know, and the Saints' defense, which to me was always the question mark on this team, has, you know, continually improved each week. And, you know, Drew Brees, this might be his last shot. And they're playing pretty well. So, you know, I think they're at home. And I think, you know, they're 4-2. and two. They're trying to get the 5-2. and two. The Bears are trying to get the 500. I just think the Saints are going to have a little too much firepower. But, boy, I, like, I, really, I really like what the Bears are doing. Trubisky, um, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot, but you can see that there's a skill set there that, you know, you can work with him, and he's definitely their quarterback of the future. And then you throw in that running, uh, you know, that running attack they have led by Jordan uh, Howard. And, you know, I really like what they're doing. I mean, I think they can give the Saints a battle, but I just think, you know, maybe Drew Brees is kind of gearing up for his last shot here. And, you know, they're going to be heard from this year, and I think they'll beat the Bears. 
Well, we've got another good game shaping up uh, tomorrow uh, out in Seattle, the Texans and the Seahawks. This is going to be a good game, probably one of the most watched games. And certainly uh, we're going to watch it here in the AFC South. Uh, it's not going to change much uh, for the Colts. But I think this is a, a huge win and a big, big opportunity for the Texans to, to beat Seattle at home. And I think if anybody can do it this year, the Texans are that team. Yeah, I, you know, and you know the Jacksonville Jaguar players, they're off this weekend. They're going to be sitting, I'm sure, in front of their TVs and watching this game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to see how Houston does. So, you know, Deshaun Watson has a big test here, obviously, rookie quarterback going into, uh, you know, the house of pain there, whatever you want to call it. But big order, tall order for uh, for him, I think. And, um, you know, I, the Seahawks got off to a slow start. They've kind of found their footing a little bit. Um, I think the Seattle Seahawks, I think they're going to win this game. I just think that, you know, it's going to be a big test for Watson. And he's looked really good so far. But, you know, life of an NFL rookie quarterback is kind of up and down. I saw it with Wentz last year. There's going to be some downs. And I think this will be a down game for Watson. I think the Seahawks will win. Yes, I'm sorry, we got cut cut off there. I apologize. <laughs> uh, so it's, okay. it's the battle of two of two uh, quarterbacks, the uh, aging quarterbacks, if you will, uh, Philip Rivers with the Chargers and the uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots. This should be a good game, and Chargers really are showing some improvement. I think it's going to be a lot for them to bite off at Gillette. But what are your thoughts, the Chargers and the Patriots? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that that you know, I think that Patriots are are the Patriots again, you know, they're five and two, they lead that division and nipping at their heels is the Buffalo uh, Bills. Uh, they're a game back. So, you know, New England has to keep winning. Um, and, and I think this will be a win. I, although I think they lost their linebacker um, Hightower, Dante Hightower is out for this game. And, um, you know, that could help uh, the, you know, the Chargers chances, especially Melvin Gordon uh, running the ball, uh, or I'm sorry, Melvin Gordon, uh, is a linebacker, but I think that'll help the Chargers running the ball. But defensively, I think guys like Melvin Gordon and Joey Bosa could make life tough on on Tom Brady. But I think, you know, the Patriots have kind of gotten back to that short passing game. Brady gets the ball out of his his hands quickly. He kind of took a beating in the first few games. I think he was sacked, you know, 16 times, um, you know, in the first five games. So I think they got back to that short passing game, and I think that'll help offset some of that pass rush that the Chargers are capable uh, of generating. And I just think the Patriots, you know, at home against a team traveling across the country, I think New England will find a way to win. Well, and I, I think you're right. And, and the, the New England is just such a tough team, and you, you just can never bet against New England at home. Uh, uh, so we got the Panthers and the Bucks. What are your thoughts there? Well, Cam Newton certainly hasn't made a lot of friends lately, and, you know, he's really struggling, and he walked out of a press conference earlier this week when, uh, you know, he was asked about, you know, why there are so few big explosive plays in this offense and if this offense can muster those. You know, to me, Christian McCaffrey coming into the league as a rookie uh, really hasn't impressed me. I saw, you know, the Eagles play them, and, you know, he just doesn't look like he has that physical strength yet to, you know, to kind of break tackles and to you know pick up yards um you know after first contact and you know that may come maybe he'll get stronger being in an nfl weight program in the off season but right now he just doesn't look like um you know he just doesn't look like that type of player you know i hate to say it but 
Um, but I, you know, I just think that the, the Panthers are really struggling right now, and and it wouldn't be surprised me to see them lose this game. The, game, the the two teams that I know that you love the most, being an Eagles fan, uh, do battle this week: the Cowboys and the Redskins. What are your thoughts? Sir? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, both teams are sitting at three and three, and it's a huge game. I mean, you know, I think the loser kind of might fall by the wayside. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. But uh, I, I just think that that's a, it's a must game. It's a must win for both these teams, um, and I think that. Uh, I just think the Cowboys are kind of hitting their stride too a little bit. Um, you know, Zeke Elliott had a terrific game last year. You know, there's always that looming suspension hanging over his head. You don't know if this will be his last game or not. Um, you know, if they lose him, then the Cowboys to me are, are going to really uh, fall out of it. But like I said, both teams are three and three. Um, the Eagles are six and one. They've already beaten the Redskins twice this year. Um, and they have yet to play Dallas. Uh, those will be two huge games. One of them's on New Year's Eve. There's talk in Philadelphia that that might get flexed. I just can't imagine how that's going to look New Year's Eve after, you know, Eagles fans have had all day to drink on New Year's Eve. And, you know, that could get <laughs> ugly. But uh, but this game, I, I don't really uh, know who's going to win. It'll be interesting to see how Washington rebounds from that loss against Philly. That was a must win for them. It's a short week for Washington. They really can't run the ball at all, and that was apparent against the Eagles. You know, the Eagles do have the number one ranked run defense in the league, so that's no easy task. But you know, there were a few times the Redskins had third and one, and they decided to throw the ball, and they threw it. You know, they couldn't even pick up a first down doing that. So uh, they just got, completely got away from their run game. Um, I, I think Dallas. I know they're on the road, but I think Dallas will win this game. Well, we'll see what happens. Well, we got to move on to our uh, – uh, Rick Riggins not joining us today. He's out of town. But Mo is standing by in the balanced green room. Do you want to stick around for the last half hour, sir? Yeah, sure. I'll stick around. All right. We'll be right back. My name is Sean Mark. We'll president. Hey, we'll be right back, and we'll get into uh, some BS about sports, college football. We're going to talk some betting against the spread, and we'll talk a little NBA also. We'll just uh, – World Series, we'll just uh, – Potluck it up right here on the Balance Radio Network. We'll be right back. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Welcome back to the Balance Final Half Hour. About ready to kick off. We've got 90 minutes in the book. Thanks to Mark Timmons from L.A. Dodger Talk, one of the foremost authorities on the L.A. Dodgers. Certainly go check them out. Mark Timmons at the LADodgerTalk.com talked with us a little bit about this little bit of a pickle that the Dodgers have found themselves in. Certainly he believes, as I do as well, the Dodgers can pull themselves out of, of this. And Matt Embry uh, got us up to speed on Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, and so forth. In the last half hour, I've been talking with our man Ed Kratz, official uh, contributor to the, N- the NFL Contributor to the balance, and certainly talking a lot about uh, Joe Flacco and and that hit on Thursday night, and certainly talk about some of the other games in the NFL. Now it's time to get with Mo from the BS Sports Show. Rick Riggett can't join us today as he's out of town, so it's me and Mo and Ed doing bet against the spread in the top 25 and just to BS about sports. How are you doing, Mr. Mo? Good, man. Good. Good, good, good. Hey, uh, first of all, we have something to settle. Of course, the the the, the World Series isn't over, so we'll just we'll just tease it a little bit. But somebody said that the Dodgers and the Astros would be in the World Series, and the Dodgers would win the World Series. You could go ahead and say who that was. Right, and, and I'm going to ask I'll point that out to the Astros are the world champion. <laughs> you know what? That's a, probably a real good reality. But I'm hoping not. You know, Mark Timmons seems to think they can get, him, get it out of the way. They've got in their own way, and they can they can uh, fix that. But, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. So I want to get your thoughts, uh, uh, Mo, just on, on the surface of what we've seen. Ed, Ed and I talked about both sides of it. I mean, you can make it take both sides of the Flacco hit. When you saw that happen, was it targeting? Been ejected? Uh, should he be fined? Should he be suspended? Was this a Joe Flacco mistake? Did it not slide soon enough? Was he trying to run for the first down and didn't realize he could make it? When you look at that hit, what are your thoughts? If you if you're the uh, the the jury and the judge and executioner on this particular play and players, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm probably going to find him because he did uh, you know he did knock him out of the game and hit him in the head, but. I think that uh, Joe Flacco has a history of sliding late. 
I think that uh, Joe Flacco was trying to make a first down, and if you're the defensive player, you're trying to not let him make the first down. Uh, you know, if it's a third and, and 30 and he's run for seven yards, I don't think you make that hit. But if he's trying to make the first down quick, so I think that uh, he's trying to stop him from doing that. And, you know, again, Joe Flacco has a history of, of late slides, and it was an awkward slide. Uh, so I think you uh, I think you find him, uh, but I don't think you spend him, and I don't think it was an intentional dirty play. So, uh, Ed, you know, we, we've gotten both both sides of this, and I know what your thoughts are. You're, you know, you're thinking uh, like, hey, I've lost my quarterback. That was a dirty play. That was a, a play that maybe wasn't intentional, but, you know, he 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 did come in with his shoulder, so by, by rule he's technically not targeting. So maybe by rule he shouldn't be ejected, but you thought he should be ejected. And any more final thoughts on that you have on this, Ed, before we move on to a different subject? But I just wanted to get everybody's thoughts on this because it seems to be the biggest story of the week. But in sports, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad that the biggest story in sports is not what the owner of the Houston Texans said. And it's not about a gesture that was made uh, by uh, an Astro player. It was about an actual football play. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, well, I, you know, and I kind of agree with Mo. I don't think he'll be suspended, and um, but I think he'll be fined. And, you know, I, I, my reasons for wanting to throw him out is, and I know it's beyond the rules. I don't know if you could prove targeting in that case. I just think when you lose your quarterback, I think in, in a hit that was that violent and that, uh, you know, whether you want to call it purposeful or not, I think that the defensive has, the defense has to suffer too, and that defensive player should be ejected. I don't know if that's in the scope of the rules because I'm not sure. Like I said earlier, had Flacco not slid late there trying to get that first down, Kiko that hit by Kiko probably would have hit Flacco in the thigh pad, taking him out of his legs. But because he slid, that put his head in harm's way. Um, so really, Flacco sort of kind of created that hit, but but still, I think there has to be some kind of a, a penalty in place that. You know, when you lose a quarterback on a hit, you know, and you know he was gone for the game with a concussion. I mean, he's bleeding from his ear. You know, I think Kiko should have been suspended. And, and then maybe he doesn't face a fine. You know, that's his punishment as he's out for the final however many, you know, minutes were left in that game. And, and then you return to practice, uh, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday whenever the Dolphins get back to work uh, and, and uh, pick it up from there. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that when you lose your quarterback on a play like that, that the defensive player has to go. And, you know, we could, like I said, we could uh, certainly make an argument for both sides of it. I'm going to kind of just for my purposes, I'm going to kind of take the defensive player side on this because I do think Joe Flacco slid a little bit late. And also what you got to think about is trying to miss an impact that close. And remember, everything goes one, two, three, click, 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 click. And a lot of it is instinct. But uh, trying to miss that could cause the defensive player injury to leave the game. I, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that the quarterback's more important than the defensive player. It depends on which, which coordinator you are. So I get it. So we'll, I'm sure that we'll continue to, to talk about this. Well, guys, let's get into the top 25 uh, NCAA football games. There's some big games going on this weekend with some good point spreads, and so Mo always helps us to bet against the spread. The uh, spread is 7.5. Uh, Oklahoma State at number 22, West Virginia. That's today, noon on ABC. This is the, one of the lines that I think Mo would warn us against about uh, taking when it was first released. Mo, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, Oklahoma State has played uh, well uh, this year, but, uh, you know, West Virginia has been no slouch. I, I actually that's uh, on West Virginia in this game and to the point. 
Ed, Ed, do you have any thoughts on number 11, Oklahoma State, and number 22, West Virginia? Points are seven and a half uh, for Oklahoma State. Yeah, you know, going into uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, that place is a tough place to play for any visiting team. I used to cover West Virginia football years ago, and uh, it's only gotten louder and uh, more vociferous inside that stadium. But, uh, yeah, I like I like West Virginia in this game, especially if I'm getting a touchdown. Uh, you know, I think they can play with Oklahoma State. They've played with some, you know, they've they've played with some good teams this year, and they're at home. and And I love that quarterback career. I think he does a great job of, of directing that offense. So yeah, I think I think West Virginia can stay within seven. I'm not sure West Virginia won't win the game outright. So Mo, uh, let's get into this, man. This is a game I want to unpack, just maybe just because uh, it is two Big Ten teams and it is two Big Ten powerhouses and and wait for it, the winner of this game very well could be your national champion. Penn State at Ohio State. People say Penn State hasn't won, hasn't beat anybody because they haven't beat Ohio State and they haven't beat Ohio State at home. People say that can't happen. People say Urban Meyer is the, the, the football god in the Big Ten, and then there's no way the Nittany Lions are coming in to Ohio State and, and going away with a win. What are your thoughts? And the spread on that is uh, five and a half in favor of Ohio State. Well, I seem to remember Penn State being Ohio State last year. Uh, and this Ohio State team is definitely not as good. They've improved uh, from the beginning of the season, but they're not, uh, not as good, I don't believe, as they were last year. And this is one of those ones that first of all, you go, how, how is the number two ranked team uh, an underdog? And this is one of those ones that uh, I threw my money on, on Penn State uh, early, and I'm looking at it again today to maybe do another play on it, but I, I like Penn State's football game. I think they win it outright. Being an underdog, I think, is ridiculous. And I think that uh, they might be giving Ohio State too much credit to the odds makers. But I, I like Penn State in the football game. Again, I don't think Ohio State's the same team they were last year uh, when Penn State beat them. So I'm, uh, I'm playing a money line play on, uh, on Penn State. Well, uh, you know, I certainly believe that Penn State has the better uh, defense, and I think when you look at other lines, that Vegas likes Penn State over Ohio State. I think a lot of people just like Ohio State because it's Ohio State. Ed, what are your thoughts? Penn State and Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, I'm with Mo. I, when I saw this line come out, I'm like, what? I was scratching my head. How How is, you know, the number two team in the country such a pretty heavy underdog? To Ohio State. I mean, you know, I know Ohio State's at home. It's in the horseshoe, and you know, maybe you get a couple points there. But you know, I think it opened at seven. Uh, it might be down to five and a half now. But I thought, my goodness, that's a that's a big point spread for a Penn State team that just ran over a, a Michigan team that came into State College as the number one ranked defense, I believe, in the country. And you know, Penn State really tuned them up. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley presents so many matchup problems. For any defense, even as a decoy, if you're not handing the ball, you're you're doing something with him as a decoy. McSorley kind of keeping it or going around the edge. And, uh, you know, I think Penn State probably should win this game. I think that the fact uh, they beat Ohio State last year on that block field goal, and yet it was Ohio State who got to get into the playoffs last year over Penn State, even though Penn State was the champion of the Big Ten. Uh, to not get any consideration for one of those four spots, I think still sticks in their crawl. And, you know, you lose this game, and I think you might be out of that four-team race for a playoff spot. So I think Penn State wants to get in the playoffs. They have the best player in the country in Saquon Barkley. My only concern is 
the quarterback. I think McSorley is very good, very competitive, but he goes through points in games where, you know, he's a little erratic. He doesn't throw the ball well. He doesn't make good decisions. And, you know, if he makes, if, if he goes through that kind of a stretch too long, Ohio State has the capability to really take advantage of that and jump out to a big lead and then hold on from there. Other than that, though, I think Penn State's the better team, and I think they should win this game. Well, Mo, let's get into another big game today. Well, at least it's big for the SEC, and that's number three, Georgia against Florida. I I, I really don't know that this is going to be much of a battle, but I think a lot of people are watching this game, and certainly a lot of people – uh, are still scratching their head on on that from that Florida Tennessee game. Uh, so a, a lot of a lot of people are, are saying this is a, a time for redemption for the Gators. I'm not so fast to say that. So I think Georgia uh, certainly beats uh, Florida, and, and the point spread on that is 14 and a half. By the way, go ahead, uh, Mo. Well, you know Florida has found ways to uh, disappoint Georgia fans for years. Uh, but I don't think that this is the Florida team of, of those days. But they they found ways to plot miracles. It's a big point spread. I think Georgia wants to uh, to prove something today. I think they come out and they uh, they beat Florida, but it's a big point spread. Normally, this would be a game that I would jump on, but history tells you that uh, this has always been a letdown for uh, for Georgia. So I've actually stayed away from this game. I think that Georgia should beat them and should beat them well, but. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the trend on the side of the Gators, it's uh, one that I definitely won't be putting my money on. Ed, what are your thoughts on uh, Georgia and Florida today? Yeah, once again, I agree with Mo. I, you know, I think Georgia wants to prove something, and uh, you know, I think back to that one point win they had over Notre Dame, and how everybody was kind of down on Notre Dame after that. And uh, you know, I knew Notre Dame had a good team then, and and you know, the, Notre Dame has played Georgia better than anybody else has in the country. So if you're Florida, you might want to look at that game tape and really study it and see what Notre Dame did there uh, to kind of hold them down to 20 points and come within a, a, you know, two points of winning that game. Uh, but I just think Georgia has too much. To, uh, they're at home, I believe. And, uh, you know, I just think they'll find a way to beat Florida. I don't know if they'll cover that spread. I, if I was a betting man, I probably would take uh, Georgia giving up the points. But I like what Mo said, just the history with these teams. That might not be the safe play. They're at Florida. They're playing at Florida. But, yeah, I, I, I think we all agree that this is a, a, a Georgia uh, game. Uh, another really big game, and we know one that Rick's going to be paying close attention to and one that he certainly wanted us to talk about, obviously, and that's the number 14, North Carolina State, at Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish. And, Mo, Notre Dame is on the road to redemption. Notre Dame fans are, once again, the loudest fans in the room. And uh, North Carolina State will give them a battle, but I think this is going to be a good game for Notre Dame as well. The points at seven and a half for Notre Dame on that one. Go ahead, Mo. Yeah, and I hate the phrase trap game, and I've heard it a lot this week, but uh, it, you really have uh, want to look at uh, Notre Dame and, and feel like, you know, how are they not let down a little bit after that huge win last week, scoring all the points, and everything just kind of went their way. So it worries me a little bit uh, with a very good North Carolina State team coming in. You know, a lot of people haven't given them, I think, the respect they're due this year. They've uh, been very good on both sides of the football. Uh, but the one thing that Notre Dame has done is uh, they've, they've actually got a defense this year. Uh, but the, the running game with Josh Adams is so good that Notre Dame is able to dictate the pace of almost every game they've played in so far. So that's a huge advantage, I think, for Notre Dame. Uh, you've got a very capable quarterback in Wynn Bush, but I think that running attack at Notre Dame, when you're rushing for over 300 yards, that uh, you know, you're know you able to control the clock and pretty much do what you want to do. Uh, you know, Can they keep that uh, 
the uh, the attitudes up and the, and the hype up that they had last week against USC after that uh, huge win and not uh, not get overconfident against the North Carolina State team. They have one of the toughest schedules for the second half and can very well work themselves into the 14th playoff. But this is going to be one of their first big uh, tests against North Carolina State. I think that they continue to run the ball. I think they win the football game. Uh, the points uh, spread scares me a little bit, but I, I think they will cover the uh, game that football with Josh Adams, who uh, should be in high school consideration at this point. Ed, what are your thoughts? Uh, North Carolina State at Notre Dame, 3.30 today on NBC. Uh, you know, the shame of that is it's on the same time as uh, Penn State, Ohio State. I don't know how they put these two <laughs> games up against each other. You know, I'm going to have to go to a you know, Buffalo Wild Wings. The battle of the networks. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to go to a, a sports bar and keep my eyes going from TV to TV to watch both of these games. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I – you know, I like Notre Dame. I love Josh Adams. Like I said, he's a local kid from the Philadelphia area who I saw play in high school. My my son played against him. He didn't do anything in the two times my son's team played against his team. Uh, and my son even today is like, well, I don't know how that guy's so good. And You know, we did, he did nothing against us. And I said, that kid's going to be playing on Sunday. And, you know, maybe he is a Heisman guy. Uh, I just don't see how he, you know, anybody beats Saquon Barkley at this point for that trophy. Uh, but I, I – uh, you know, we talked earlier, Tom, about Deshaun Kaiser. Maybe the best move for him would have been to stay at Notre Dame for another year, but then we wouldn't have seen the magic of Winbush. And, you know, this Notre Dame team to me is really hitting its stride. I just don't see NC State stopping, uh, you know, what they have going right now. And Notre Dame sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If they win out, they could be one of those four teams in the playoff race. There's no way they come out and lay an egg at home. I would take Notre Dame and give up the points. Well, certainly I think Notre Dame is going to win this game. and uh, But I tell you what, North Carolina State is, is a tough team. Mo, uh, number four TCU at number 25, Iowa State. Uh, six and a half in favor of TCU. Both of these teams have done well against the, uh, the number this year. But uh, uh, TCU, I think, is a, just a stronger, more, more put-together team than Iowa State. What are your thoughts? And I think you're probably right, but I'm going to take uh, a little bit of money and put it on Iowa State because they uh, they scored me big uh, earlier in the year when they uh, not only covered but knocked uh, with, against the Oklahoma. So I I won big money off of them. So I'm going to give them a little bit of respect today, put a little bit of cash on uh, on Iowa State again. But I think you're right, TCU is a better team. But hey, it doesn't hurt to see if uh, Lightning strikes twice. The team. Uh, Ed, what are your thoughts on the uh, TCU game? Well, you know, Iowa State is playing better than probably anybody thought, you know, they would be at the start of the season. They've won, I think, three in a row, including big upset uh, over Oklahoma, which has really kind of propelled them. And, uh, you know, they're at home against TCU. I mean, I I could see them giving TCU a battle, but uh, TCU's offense is so prolific. It's just so hard to contain them. And uh, I I wouldn't pick against uh, Texas Christian in this game. Not, Not at all. I think they'll beat Iowa State, but you know, Iowa State's opened my eyes with the way they've played these last, you know, three weeks. All right, guys, let's just kind of talk around a little bit about some of the other sports going on. Obviously, NBA is in full swing, and one of the, the series that I know that, that I was paying attention to this week was the Pacers at Oklahoma City. Obviously, this is the first time the Pacers uh, met with Paul George, and Paul George was not a Pacer. 
I felt like, Mo, I felt like Owen Depot had a great series against them. And I think what we saw was a very energetic, positive uh, Pacer team. And, you know, I think they are exactly where we, we thought they would be. But it was fun to watch uh, them go against Paul George and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The problem is, though, that they, they still the same problems they had last year where they've got very few guys on that team who can create their own shot. Uh, you know, when if, if Oladipo has an off night or if he's out of the game, other than uh, Lance Stevenson and, and Miles Turner, there are very few guys uh, on this basketball team that can create their own shot. And, you know, they were they were playing well. And then uh, Bogdanovich continued to turn the ball over about eight times out of nine possessions uh, uh, in the second quarter. So it, it's still a young learning team, but they've got to figure out a way uh, to add a piece or two of these uh, this next couple of seasons. Many guys that can create their own shot. And that's what a lot of these – these other teams, especially these super teams, have is numerous guys who can create shots, and, and Indiana just doesn't have that, and that's something they struggled with the past couple of years with, with uh, just Paul George as well. So uh, there's still a lot of moves that need to be made, but uh, you know I like what I've seen from Victor Oladipo, uh, but uh, you know they got they got to figure some things out for sure. Ed, I know that uh, the the 76ers are back in business. The the Sixers fans uh, have been told to trust the process. What do you think about the upcoming season of your Philadelphia 76ers? Well, um, you know, the NBA in October really doesn't do a whole lot for me, to be honest. I, I usually <laughs> don't start paying attention to the NBA until, you know, January. Uh, but you're right, you know, the Sixers are back in business. They still stink. They're one and four. They have the talent on the team, but they're just not playing together um, very well right now. They're young. You know, Markel Fultz, their number one draft pick, is hurt. He's getting cortisone shots in his shoulder. His jumper's been affected. They don't have anybody to shoot. Ben Simmons is an undeniably good talent, but he can't shoot a jumper to save his life. His foul shooting is awful. Good teams aren't going to let him get to the basket late in games. He's very good at penetrating, but good teams are going to foul him and put him at the foul line. So, you know, to me, Ben Simmons should have been trying to get better when he sat out last year, his first year in the league. It doesn't look like he worked on his shot at all hesitant to shoot it you know you hope that he can develop it uh but you know he's the key to this team Joel Embiid you know he'll get his if he's healthy but Ben Simmons to me is the key to this team and if he can't shoot the ball from 15 feet then you know he's not going to have the kind of career the Sixers want from him so we'll see I think the Sixers talent there but again it's October you know check back with me on the Sixers in January and we'll see where they're at (laughs) trust the process my friend trust the process Uh, yeah hey uh (laughs) Uh, Mo, let me ask you this. Uh, Dray, uh, Draymond Green says the NBA NBA is out to get him after he got ejected. Uh, it, it, are they out to get him? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, A, who cares, and B, who cares? I mean, I mean <laughs> here's the thing, though. We, we look at a lot of times, you know, look at a guy like Vontez Perfect, who maybe will do something that another player would do and maybe get a fine or just a one-game suspension, and he'll get three or four games. It's because of, of your history. A lot of times that's taken in. Uh, to affect it, and to think these referees are blind to your history is is asinine. So I think that, you know that that factors in, and guys uh, who have been problem childs have got to realize that that your history, right or wrong, is going to affect referees' decisions. Because let's be honest, throwing your mouthpiece at the referee like Steph Curry did should have probably been a suspension, but it wasn't because he doesn't have a real big history of being a, a jerk. But Draymond Green does, and I, I think that factors in. So. I don't think they're out to get him. I think he's a, he's a victim of his past crimes, and he's got to realize that. And until he does and things start to change for a while, I think it's going to continue. 
Well, absolutely. So we, we certainly don't want to spend a lot of time on the NBA because it is just October and it is just the NBA. So we won't spend a lot of time uh, talking talking about that. But I did want to get some thoughts because I, I purposely saved this to the end so we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it because I'm really quite tired of talking about it. But let's just talk about it some more uh, because it's a story. I want to talk about the comments that the couple, just a couple things together. I'm talking about uh, these political correctness world that our sports is somehow got themselves in, intertangled with. What we, what we saw this this week was the owner of the Houston Texans making a comment in a team uh, players union meeting rep meeting whatever uh, something about well we can't let. The inmates run the asylum. Now, every little pansy, crybaby baby comes out and uses that as a soapbox to say, oh, my feelings are hurt. He referred to me as an inmate. You're not an inmate. Who cares? It'd be like me saying, Ed, you're, you're, you're an inmate. You're not. I don't think that's what he meant. I think he was just trying to say is at some point the NFL owners have to have control of the process. It's a business. They're the owners. And at the end of the day, the, the, the players are employees of said business. Now you see the Astros player uh, apparently made a gesture. I don't know. I, I, I saw the picture. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But here we go. Here we go. We're, we're making a big issue out of something that's not that big of a deal. Just isn't that big of a deal. We'll start with you, Mo. Has the NFL, just say sports in general, has it gotten out of control with this political correct bullcrap? Go ahead, Mo. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm to the point where I'm so tired of talking about it. I, I think that, uh, you know, for the owner of the technique, he needs to realize the climate that they're in right now, though. I, I think whether it may have been, uh, you know, a comment that was taken out of context or not what he meant, I think you've got to be smarter at this point and realize the, the state of the NFL and what's been going on. At the end of the day, it's millionaires bitching at billionaires and billionaires bitching at millionaires. So I turn on sports to, to not worry about it. If you want to be active in your community and political outside of it, that's great. But leave it out of the game, at least, please, because that's what I, I'm, I'm turning on to forget about everything else going on uh, in the world for the time. But it's it's a comment that probably meant no harm, but I think at this point you've got to be smarter and realize the climate you're living in right now. And, and, and the thing last night uh, with the baseball game, if it, if it was meant to be that, it was completely idiotic. But it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, the day will go on. But I thought that who handled it the best so far? You'd publish a statement today about uh, he's not going to accuse him or say anything like that. Let's just hope that we can learn something from it. I thought the only, he's the one out of everybody that, of these things that's happened that's handled it the best so far. So kudos to, to you, Darvish, and his statement today. But I love it, God. Let's, let's, let's leave politics out of the game. Do you want to talk about it uh, afterwards or uh, be a community activist? All that, that, that's great. You have a platform to do it. But uh, it's, it's gotten to the point to where we've even forgotten what the whole thing started over. So I'm, uh, I'm tapping out. I'm waving my flag. I, I, I give up. I'm with you. Uh, I'm typing out, too. And we're going to give you the last word yeah. today. Go right ahead, sir. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, whatever Mo said, just, you know, put me in that camp because I'm with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, yes. it, yeah, just times two with, with what Mo said. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, look, the World Series is going on right now, and uh, the Astros, to me, look unstoppable. They, they look, they're stacked from top to bottom. And I didn't – the Sports Illustrated have a cover – 
a couple years ago that said your World Series champs in 2017, the Houston Astros, that's going to happen. I think they're going to win tonight. I like the way Charlie Morton pitches at home. Uh, and, and I just think the Dodgers are in trouble. The Dodgers have a good team. These are the two best teams in baseball that are playing. But I just think the Astros are a little bit better. And, uh, you know, we better get used to the fact that the Houston Astros are going to be World Series champs. Cause I think it's- <laughs> Let's hope not. Go Dodgers. <laughs> Hang on for me, man. Keep breathing. Don't, don't, don't die on me yet. Uh, that's, uh, the, we need the Dodgers to, to, to stay alive. And it just seems yeah. like the Astros should be in the National League anyway. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> you're right. Mo, you're, people... you're right. <laughs> Mo, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, at Mo Radio Show uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. Make sure you guys follow Mo. Mo's got some great tweets. Ed Kratz, uh, and, and I know, Ed, uh, you uh, do some – Really great articles that you that we've been able to post on thebalanceonline.com, so go check that out as well. But where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Yeah, check me out on the balance, and I also uh, have uh, I'm writing for uh, the USA Today's uh, Eagles Wire, so it's uh, EaglesWire.usatoday.com, and uh, you know the Eagles are a hot ticket right now. So if you want to read about the Eagles, there's all sorts of good stuff you can read there. You can hit me on Twitter at Crash. I'm sorry about that. Push the wrong button. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> I didn't mean to I do thought, that. You know, I, I, I got trigger right. happy there. <laughs> I thought I thought we were uh, going into the Three Stooges there for a minute. Yeah, uh, something. But, yeah, well, you can hit me on Twitter, K-R-A-C-Z-E, at Kratzy. You can find me there, or, you know, at thebalance.com or uh, – thebalanceonline.com or at uh, eagleswire.usatoday.com, any of those spots. Eagles Wire, make sure you do that. And I'm glad you let us know that. I was I was unaware of that, Ed. So uh, congrats on uh, being on the wire there with USA Today. All right, guys, we've got a uh, call of the day. Uh, we'll catch both of you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy, enjoy your NFL Sunday and college football Saturday. Yes, sir. Ed Kratz, Mo from the BS Sports Show, joined us. Uh, help us break down a lot of things. Thanks to Mark Timmons, L.A. Dodger Talk, for talking a little bit of Dodgers with us today. Matt Embry's uh, wrapping up some open wheel uh, racing as well. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. Remember, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. We'll see you next week right here on the Balance Radio Network. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.